Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. Although it's only been one week since our last podcast, it has been it has felt as it's been years with nothing to fill that EPL morning-shaped void in all of our hearts. But don't worry, we see the light at the end of this international break tunnel, and here to help you get out of this doom and gloom is your favorite podcast trio. I'm your host, James, back again with my better thirds, Sean and Kyle. For those of you who listened last week and saw the Instagram post this earlier this week, it brings me immense pleasure to introduce you to the forever honorary EPL State of Mind team member for this week's Everton Spotlight episode, lifelong toffee fan and one of my closest friends blake purtle blake so excited to have you on the cast my man finally and of all weeks to have a toffee fan what luck i mean welcome welcome thanks for having me on guys yeah definitely long long time coming and what we thought was going to be a nice happy uh episode talking about how everton were going on the up and up uh got some pretty big breaking news this week so definitely excited to dig into it with you guys yeah, we uh we invited you or I invited you on the podcast about two weeks ago where none of this happened and we were like, finally, some good news. Blake will definitely do it. Definitely do it. This came out. I'm like, shit, is he going to want to do it? Shit, is he going <laughs> to want to do it? But uh, there could be no better Toffee fan than you. And um, for those who don't know, uh, because Blake is an honorary member, we give him a shout out at the beginning. and I've done it before, but Blake is the mastermind behind our graphic scheme for the EPL state of mind. So all of that wonderful uh, Instagram post templates are beautiful, beautiful blue logo. I think it's a little bit too close to the Manchester city baby blue, but it looks damn good, my friend. So thank you. And, and your time to shine is today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Hey, don't, don't, don't forget to give yourself a little bit of shine on those Instagram posts. I know you're hard at work there too. So <laughs> thank you, brother. Thank you. The teachers has given me the right tools. But uh, as always, we open up our episode with some hot news. And for the first time, I think we're going to pass the first bit of hot news over to our guest because he came in with some really, really entertaining, unfortunate news for the U.S., but it segues nicely into our second one, which is international play. So, Blake, please bring us what's piping hot. Yeah, so I'm sure uh, any fans of the U.S. men's national team are probably aware by now, but uh, uh, if you weren't, watching the game like uh some eagles fans like myself uh serginio <laughs> dest had quite the uh incident last night uh against trinidad tobago uh, not sure if any of you guys saw that happen not live but definitely the replays yeah i mean so the replays yeah so i like i said i didn't see it live so i didn't see everything leading up to it but you just see serginio dest just going off first gets a yellow card for yelling at the ref basically it looks like he's calling him like an idiot just motioning a bunch of hand motions. I don't know who, I don't know what he's saying, what language he was saying it in. Who knows? And eventually he keeps on going for, felt like almost like a minute or two minutes. Eventually gets the red card. All United States men's national team members, Tim Reams going over, like pretty much beating him up, shoving him off the field, like get the hell out of here. What are you doing? I, I just don't know what goes through a player's head when they do something like that. It just, Passion. Me. It's like the most Love unprofessional the thing you could do. <laughs> Listen, I mean, they, the U.S. lost to Trinidad and Tobago, though. I mean, yeah. I, I did a little research after the fact. Trinidad and Tobago has a population of 1.52 million people. The U.S. is 331 million. That means there are 217 Americans walking around for each Tobagan, and they <laughs> figured out a way to beat us. I, it's unacceptable. It's unbelievable. But I love the heart at a desk on that play. Burhalter out. 
for yeah, all the absolutely yeah, we had the perfect opportunity we had the perfect opportunity and we let him come back in i don't understand i don't understand but i know you you are very passionate of you are a, one of the american bandits uh blake and and you have a, a strong presence and emotional tie to the philadelphia union so we'll we'll bring you back on when we do a do an mls highlight to try to get a little bit more of in, for domestic play yeah, self self admitted MLS sicko here, so definitely <laughs> would be excited to join you for that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. But but uh, from there, I guess we'll we'll kind of go segue nicely into some international play. Sean, do you want to you want to run up the helm with this second hot news, which is international play? Yeah, and and I think the the big theme of international play so far has been injuries. Uh, you wrote it down here. It's basically that time of the year where every European fan, or I guess every club fan, just tenses up a little bit. Like, God, I hope my guy playing in like negative thirty seven degree weather in Siberia doesn't get hurt, or playing <laughs> in the jungles of like Costa Rica at, at like crazy elevation. Just something some. Really unfortunate injuries. We have uh, Pablo Gavi out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. Um, basically been the guy who him and Pedri alongside each other run the midfield for Barca. So um, huge loss for them. He's led them in minutes, appearances, and starts in all competitions since 2021. Um, obviously, you know we're, we're not a La Liga-focused podcast, but they do sit in third place right now in La Liga. Um, they are top of their Champions League group, so I don't think it's going to de- derail their chance of getting to the knockout rounds. But progressing past that, and then also uh, you know competing domestically, it's going to be a huge loss. Of yeah, course. big time. We we all saw it, you know, internally to the EPL as well. A lot of key players got hurt. I mean, West Ham lost Jared Bowen for a little bit at least. He was the seventh player to withdraw from the England squad during this international break. He's being withdrawn due to a knee injury he picked up in training. And then, you know, you also have Manchester City with a scare with Holland. Seems to be coming back for the Liverpool game this weekend, which I'm sure, Kyle, you're excited about. Sean, maybe you were holding your breath a little bit there. Anders Ederson also withdrew from the Brazil squad with a foot injury. And, you know, of course, myself dealing with Thomas Partey's going, coming and going when he goes away, always gets injured when he goes away. So it, it, this is no stranger to any any team internationally yeah i mean <clears throat> I, I did get the update this week of holland and ederson missing international games due to injury i'm like you gotta be fucking kidding me like we're playing liverpool on saturday and the you know the two peaks of the team bottom and top they're just out but thank yeah. god they're playing but i had a uh, a question that i i couldn't figure out the answer to hopefully you guys can where um Kamavinga on Real Madrid got hurt in his international game. And because of that, FIFA is paying out Real Madrid 20,500 pounds per day that he misses. It's going to total over a million pounds of restitution or payments, I guess, to Real Madrid from FIFA because of his international injury. I, I don't understand that. It's the player's choice. Like He can always say no. And how come all other players, why is you know Joe, Jared Bowen, Holland, how come they're not getting paid out? Like, is that a thing where FIFA pays international players if they get hurt? Yeah, on international duty, yes, if they get hurt. But I think it's only for, like, a long-term injury where, like, insurance and that type of shit gets pulled into play because I think Kamavinga is supposed to miss, like, several months. Gabi's going to miss several months versus Holland and Bowen. I don't think these are long-term injuries by any means where it's going to be, like, hit their bottom line for, like, loss of profit or something like that. 
Gotcha. I just didn't understand how FIFA is liable for a player deciding to go international and getting hurt. For sure. Yeah, I I totally get that. But you know, while we're on the subject of talking about money and uh, some some mismanagement with it, uh, let's let's go to you, Blake. Talk about Everton getting handed a ten point deduction this week. I believe that was Sunday, dropping all the way down to nineteenth place. They have four points now. The deduction was as a result of the uh, violation of the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. And this has been something that, you know, they've been charged with as of as late as last year. And it just kind of was hanging over their heads for a little bit. But, you know, here we are and it's a 10, ten point you know, deduction. So, Blake, just kind of start us off. Tell us how did this happen and you know where does everything gonna go from here? Yeah. So, I mean, how it happened, obviously, it starts off at the top, I think. Any Everton fan would tell you, and we've been campaigning against the board and the ownership for a few years now that the people that have been running the club are not by any means fit for the jobs that they had. And many of them have by now all left the board and left the club. So the people that were the people that were in charge of the in charge of the club when this all went down are all gone. Uh, funny enough, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we have, really comes down to the people up at the top we have probably the worst one of the worst owners in all of sports it's it's really depressing to watch as a fan just in the background we always knew that this uh this charge was just kind of looming in the background since last year we're just kind of waiting on when the punishment was going to come out and i don't think any everton fan thought in their right mind that any kind of points were going to be deducted let alone 10. Um, obviously it's it's a very uh like ongoing like still developing situation uh so still like they're still obviously appealing so stuff might still happen but from an everton fan perspective like we'll be the first ones to admit like i said we're definitely guilty the club is definitely guilty they said they stated that in their club statement uh the day following the epl uh sanction so it's not like they're hiding from that they're not stating that they like didn't do anything wrong like not to call out man city but kind of like kind of just hiding behind litigation and not not show not giving any documents <laughs> so not by any means were they trying to hide anything like i'll get into a little bit more detail but we've actually been working with the premier league for the past few years to keep our uh, wage bill intact and make sure that we're not overspending going over these uh financial fair play uh regulations which is a whole other subject to get into, but uh, really it all just comes down to that the punishment that was given is really just incredibly disproportionate to what the actual crime was. So that's really where I stand and where I think that this appeal will lead to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just going based on that, because you brought it up, this is the largest point deduction in the history of the Premier League. Uh, back in 20, 2009, or excuse me, 2009, 2010, Portsmouth were deducted nine points. And that's because the club entered administration, meaning they couldn't pay any of their bills, not that they were in debt or they violated sustainability laws. They literally couldn't pay their bills. And they got a more lenient punishment than Everton did, which just doesn't feel fair. Um, and, and I mean, I'm glad you brought it up too, because I, I, I got to imagine as an Everton fan, it's probably infuriating to see like the, the charges for Man City have been for longer and there's a resolution to the Everton Chargers quicker but I guess at to your point it's because they've just kind of put their hand up and say hey yeah we, we messed up here um 
But I did read something today that they they claim the losses aren't as bad or they didn't go as far over the rules as be, it's being reported by the Premier League. Is that is there truth to that? Yeah. So there's a couple different mitigating factors that the club are claiming uh, impacted like the the uh, their profit and sustainability numbers. Uh, so those would be COVID nineteen, the impacts of that, uh, the Russian Ukrainian war, which I think. Other than Chelsea, it definitely impacted Everton by far the most of any other club. And we could get into that in a little bit more detail. Uh, and then also just, oh, there was also, so there was also a situation with Guilty Sigerson that I saw come up in the news, but we don't, we don't need to get into that. That's, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But you brought up like Man City before. What I think is really taking so long there is the fact that they had 115 charges brought against them. That's it? I thought it was like 200. That's awesome. <laughs> Whereas Everton had only a single charge. So obviously the litigation and like going over that is going to be a lot faster. And Man City has a lot more money. So they probably have the world's best lawyer team. Whereas Everton, we probably have, I was telling my buddies, we probably have like the lawyers from around the corner of the stadium working for us. So a couple, couple of scousers, a little scouse law. Yeah. Yeah, James mentioned it earlier when he and I were talking, and he said this might just be a case of the Premier League setting the president of you breach these rules, you get punished. So whether they're going to decide that it's per breach is 10 points, that would be terrible. We'd lose, what, 1,200 points this season if they found us guilty, which is going to be, I mean, for Pep, pretty difficult to come back from. <laughs> but um, yeah, We'll see. I'm kind of hoping that Everton is taking the role of the hero we all need to fall onto this sword. I think we'll get into it a little on. I think Everton at the end of the day are going to be fine, even with the 10 point deduction, but we'll get into that when the body of the podcast. But yeah, Kyle, I think, I think um, Blake, I'd be interested to see if, if you believe the same thing that you guys are becoming the, uh, the martyrs for this possible upheaval of Man City. Definitely more so feel like a sacrificial lamb than a hero, personally, but uh, I'll take hero, I guess. <laughs> well, just, just so everyone knows, because we haven't said any straight fact numbers yet, the, the big thing with Everton right now, and Blake was uh, kind of alluding to it before, and he'll get into the actual physical numbers of what we're doing, but Everton right now are in breach, technically, of the profit and sustainability regulations by about $19 million. Now, year to year, the English Premier League allows 105 million pounds of losses to be reported. And right now, Everton are sitting at 124.5 million. So, Blake, you talked about the three points or two of the three points that I think kind of really fit into this. And that's obviously COVID. It's the Russian-Ukrainian war. And then I know we'll talk about the stadium as well. Take us through kind of the impacts and how these numbers are being figured and, and kind of what you believe is is really Everton's justification to hopefully the appeal. Yeah, so one important thing to note is that this, uh, the ruling is over like a three-year period. So it's from the years 2020 to 2022. So it's not just like last year, they just did, they just went over for that year. It's based on those three years combined. Uh, they went over by the 19.5. Um, and what the breach uh, was specifically was uh, it has nothing to do with the sporting side of things. That's one really important thing to note. It's uh, with regards to the stadium funding and where the money was moved to and from during interest payments. And even in the, uh, the Premier League's official report that they uh, 
came out with to the public, they stated in there themselves that Everton gained no sporting advantage at all from the result of the breach that they were guilty of. So that's something that's really important to know and comes up uh, later on, like when we'll talk about the different clubs that are trying to sue Everton now because they felt wronged of being relegated and we weren't. But that's really the big important thing to note is we're being given a sporting punishment for a crime that is not a sporting crime. Right, right. Which is which is huge. And I'll just say real quick, if you suck and you get relegated, it's because you suck and got relegated. And, and you know, obviously people like Man City who, who can funnel the money and get the best players, but Everton haven't been doing that. You look at you look at the past three seasons or four seasons, and the most expensive player they brought in which was with Charleston for $40 million. You know, that was in 2018, 2019. So no wonder this is going on then. That dude's a cancer to every team he ever plays on. <laughs> I'll Come take on. him back in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, that might be the shout out for, for one of our, 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 our upcoming questions in the, in the main segment there. But yeah, man, I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy of what's happening with Everton right now. And definitely I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, we need a mental health check on Blake. For sure, for sure. Well, so you were talking about earlier some of the mitigating factors. And I could get into a little bit more detail about them. We brought up COVID, so obviously COVID impacted everybody. Um, but the one thing that uh, particularly impacted Everton was unlike some other Premier League clubs, they didn't furlough their staff at all at any point of time during COVID. They kept on paying all their front office staff as well as their game day and non-match day casual workers as well. Uh, so... Not to throw other clubs under the bus, but Newcastle got furloughed their entire staff. So they saved they saved money and they took advantage of a government scheme that way, whereas Everton stayed true to their workers and kept on paying everybody. Uh, the stadium construction, that's a huge, huge, and it's probably the number one reason why we have the financial struggles. That started in early uh, 2021, which was obviously right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were missing out on a large amount of the funds that we were like financially expecting based on the gate tickets that we were missing out on, because obviously for a while there was no premier league soccer. And then eventually they had a whole season without any fans. So we missed out on a whole season of bringing in that revenue, which for a club like Everton, which isn't making the money that teams and like the big six are making based on marketing and stuff like that. That's super important to, like our profit and sustainability is the match day, which you'll see any any day, even when we were terrible, that place is sold out. Goodison Park is not a field to be taken lightly. As an Arsenal fan, I have learned that firsthand multiple times against you guys at, at, at your home stadium. Blake, have you had the chance to go and see games at Goodison Park? I have not been yet. No, I've not. I've never actually been over to England either. So it's been something that's been long in the works. Well, when this podcast gets picked up by, you know, the major networks and we get our huge signing bonus, we'll, you know, we'll take <laughs> our lead designer to go see his team play. Of course. Sounds Absolutely. <laughs> Blake and I, Blake and I saw the Arsenal Everton game in Maryland last summer, not this, this summer, just now, but last summer. And that was a, that was a great game. Great weekend. We won't get into those details. But the great the, the game was even better for at least one of us. Yeah, for, for one of us. <laughs> I can't say the same. Yeah. So one other big factor uh, in Everton's financial demise is actually due to uh, Vladimir Putin himself. Uh, so the Russian-Ukraine war, which I 
uh, mentioned earlier, has had a huge impact on Everton. Uh, so I don't know if most people probably don't know who he is. Alashir Usmanov is a big-time old Russian oligarch. He owned up to 30% of Arsenal from 2007 to 2018. So, James, you might be familiar with him. I don't know. Uh, but it's been long, long speculated that he has been Everton's ghost owner in the shadows, uh, using Moshiri, uh, Farhad Moshiri, who's our owner, as pretty much just as a pawn, as a front. Moshiri is, uh, so his little backstory is he's, he's uh, Usmanov's former accountant, former accountant and longtime employee. So you got to have to wonder how a former accountant got the money to own such a big, like club and European soccer. So it's been long reported and there's even reports from former managers and players claiming to have met Uzbanov in like their initial meetings, uh, like when they're being approached by the club. So once the whole war started, that embargo hit, all of our uh, main sponsors were Uzmanov companies. So USM Holdings, Megaphone, those were our primary sponsors for pretty much everything except for the front logo on the men's jersey. So our training center was sponsored by that. The women's tra the training stuff was sponsored by that. Their jerseys were sponsored that, by that. All of our training kits had Usmanov logos on them. So we were getting all of our commercial money and marketing money from Usmanov. So once that embargo hit, we were left scrambling. We were left without most of the money that we were accounting for from commercial revenue. And we still really have not found the commercial partners that are meeting that same level that we were getting there. And a big thing that, uh, another big impact was, uh, he had agreed rights for the state, the stadium naming rights. It was like a 20 year agreement or something like that. It was something crazy, something that Everton, there's no reason why Everton would be agreeing to something like that, but it was something ridiculous. And obviously the embargo canceled that as well. So that really, really, they put a big damper on our financials, which, I mean, obviously you, you can't account for a major war just going to pop up out of nowhere and just completely kill your commercial side of your business. So that as well as the stadium were just the big daggers to Everton's financial wallet. It's, it's been crippling. There, there's got to be some type of force majeure law within there that, that, that the, uh, the, the lawyers around the corner from Goodison Park might be able to find in there. <laughs> but um, if, if you were on that lawyer team real quick, you think this sticks or no? So I, I don't think the 10 points stick. Like I said earlier, I didn't think we'd get any point deduction at all. I personally, if it was up to me, I would give us like a transfer, like a transfer embargo, like not allowing us to like make transfers for like a calendar year, kind of like what happened to Chelsea for, much greater punishments. <laughs> uh, we don't need to get into that. But yeah, I, I think after the appeal process, I would hope it gets brought down to like a fine and transfer punishment. But I really feel like it's still going to be some kind of points deducted. Which kind of kind of segues nicely into our, our second part, which we're going to get away from the gloom and doom that is the 10-point deduction and more into the good playing that Everton has had lately and this year. Because let's be honest, at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of people were writing Everton off. But currently at the moment, you know, they're a top 10 statistic team right now. You know, goals conceded per match, they're ninth overall in least amount of goals conceded. 
Goals per match, they're right outside in 12th with 1.2 per game. Their clean sheets, 12. Expected goals, which is one of their highest stats, their 10th was an XG of 18.1. Shots on target, they lead more than half of the table in ninth place with 4.8. They're playing some really good soccer, and a lot of it is coming from the offense, which we didn't really see last year. So already having half of the total wins from last year, last year you had eight. Currently right now, I believe you have four. And the poor showing from the newly promoted teams, where do you see Everton finishing table-wise, even with with the deduction? So, I mean, with the re- with the 10-point reduction, realistically, I, I definitely still, like you said, I definitely still think with the team, when the team's playing, we definitely still escape relegation. Where how high we can get up to the table, I, I would be happy with like 14th through 16th, honestly, with the 10-point deduction. But if we had no 10-point deduction and none of this ever happened and we're just continuing like things were a week ago, <laughs> I, I honestly, in in my preseason prediction, I picked us ninth. I, I think that we could have finished close to the middle of the table, about eighth to like 12th spots, somewhere in between there. And honestly, myself and every Everton fan would have been very happy about that with that finishing after the past few years of relegation battles, for sure. Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, you're you're talking about like eighth place. You're right there at European play, essentially, because we have to assume we don't have to, but because we're EPL state of mind, we will assume that because of the coefficient that's being introduced into Champions League, we'll get five spots in Champions League, which then bumps everything down a little bit more. So, I mean, I think I think it's a fair shout. I think I had Everton finishing ninth as well, actually, in my pre- preseason poll right around that number and to be honest with you the way you guys have been looking and 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 Calvert-Lewin actually showing up and not being injured for more than a few days <laughs> is, is is helping a lot with you guys yeah no that's that's definitely the biggest difference I think is just the fact that we have healthy strikers I mean Dominic Calvert-Lewin like you said he lives in the trainer's room <laughs> the past <laughs> the past last year he had 18 games total the year before he had 18 games total. So he just wasn't somebody that you could rely upon. And just because of the financial difficulties that we were in, we couldn't afford to purchase strikers in the market. So the only backup that we had last year was Neil Mape. Who, <laughs> I don't know what you guys think about Neil Mape, but I have some very bad thoughts about him, especially playing as like a direct striker, which I mean, he might be okay as a 10, but he is not like a number nine striker. So we were just setting up for disaster, basically with no striker, trying to pull off a Manchester City with Phil Foden up top, but with Neil Mape. So that, yeah, <laughs> having a having a healthy DCL has been huge, and even just having the brought in a couple of different strikers as well this summer has really helped add some depth just in case of injury. But do you feel like you lose some shithousery when you when you lose Neil Mope, right? Because he's literally just kind of, isn't that like his whole contribution to the team is just kind of being a prick? That's probably the only redeeming factor of him, honestly. <laughs> I, I think the one nice part about this, though, is that even with a 10-point reduction, the teams that came up are just so terrible that you're one win away from being safe, which is yeah, nice. Is... I mean, if your prediction was ninth place, this 10-point reduction is not keeping you out of European football. It's also not kicking you out of the Premier League. At least it doesn't look to be that way. So, I mean, if you're, if there was ever a time or a season to get this 10-point reduction in your current form, this is it. No doubt about it. Yeah. 
But I mean, moving on from that with your current form, you're still in, you're still in the Carabao cup. I mean, it's a, it's a dumpster fire of a tournament. It's just absolutely. <laughs> now. It's the saddest thing. <laughs> it's it's a tournament. I don't know what you're talking about. Champions League Carabao cup. <laughs> it is a straight up tournament carried by the B team so that the A team can win the finals and get injuries. That's all it is in my opinion. But that being said, Newcastle and Liverpool are pretty much the best teams remaining in the Carabao Cup. How do you like your chances? Yeah, so currently our odds, if anybody's interested in gambling, our odds are plus 900 to win the Carabao Cup. So if you think we're going to win, you might want to get on that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm personally not putting my money on it yet. but (laughs) But, I mean, I love our our next tie we got Fulham at home so i mean we didn't like you said we didn't get liverpool we didn't get newcastle so i mean i can't complain about that obviously i would have loved to have gotten port vale at home but <laughs> I'll, I'll take Fulham. um and like you said i mean usually i feel the same way about the carabao cup i mean usually it's it is a completely meaningless competition let's be honest like why even why does it even exist we have the fa cup like, but you get you you could get a, a conference league spot if you win it. So that's that might be Everton's chance to get European football. So I didn't know that. <laughs> See, <laughs> everyone's sleeping on the Cabbage Cup. If you're not you're not if you're not in the top four, it's a good way to get some European football for you bums at the bottom of the table. I mean, me personally, <laughs> I can't relate, but we'll probably win it hey, anyways. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. kidding. I I I did want to say I actually think running into Newcastle right now wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either with the injuries that they've got. Like I would, if Everton was at home, I'd favor them to win that game. Yeah, but Newcastle's also playing like legit toddlers right now in like the middle of the park. So yeah, it'd be probably be their U twenty one team is who would probably be playing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just I want to get your thoughts on Sean Dyche. Like came in last year, took over from Kyle's boy Frank Lampard, arguably the most <laughs> disappointing of the Moshiri seven, right? And I'll no, also no, ask you just quickly. Not. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry to give me your give me not. give me a quick quick rundown. There's been seven managers, two interim managers, one being the legendary Duncan Ferguson, but seven permanent managers in six years under Mushiri after like 20 years of only three managers. So, give me your quick rundown of those managers, and then also, where's Daishi fall in there? Do you love him? Oh, yeah. My, so my, I don't know if y'all are in the fantasy league, but my team name is Deitch Masterclass. <laughs> so obviously I'm a big fan of the uh, the bald head, but yeah, no. <laughs> Something about those bald managers, man. They know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So who's the worst one then of the Mushiri 7 if it's not Frank Lampard? If it's not Frank Lampard, it's definitely Rafa Benitez. Oh, well, yeah. Hundred percent. Because you guys never wanted Rafa at any point. No. And that, <laughs> yeah. that was purely a Moshiri. So that's what I mean by him being the worst owner in sports. He just loves to get his hands and everything, and manipulate, make all the decisions himself. Luckily, he stepped back and hasn't been doing that for the past two years. But, yeah, no. So it, Rafa Benitez, by far, I mean, he's he was a Liverpool manager. How, how do you bring in a Liverpool manager to Everton and expect that to go well? <laughs> Let's be honest. He's a Spanish scouser, man. He still lives in Liverpool. He's a weirdo. He loves it. He's like the only guy from outside of Eng- the northwest of England who's like, Liverpool's the spot to be. So <laughs> I guess that's what it is. He's just neighbors with all these all these Evertonians. Yeah. Kyle, how, uh, how butthurt are you, Kyle, that if it wasn't Rafa, it was going to be Frank Lampard? I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. This conversation started. I went on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. 
<laughs> hey, Frank Lampard's got a nice future as a TV pundit. I mean, there, yeah, there has to be some level of, a little fat, though. of added points due to legendness. You know, like, does... Does no, 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 do no, it? no. Absolutely. Stop. Does Pep Guardiola deserve the 91 legend card? Absolutely not. But you know what? He's a legend. <laughs> so there's something to be said about that. So the one thing I will give Frank Lampard credit for is kind of what you just said. He did have pull in the transfer market. Like Amadou Anana himself even said that he came to Everton because of Frank Lampard. So he definitely, that was like the one thing that he definitely had a positive impact in is that players won. I mean, because he is an EPL legend. So players did want to come and play for an EPL legend, especially if you're a young midfielder like Amadou Anana. It's just, sorry, but he he's not cut out to be a not yet. top flight manager. Not yet. <laughs> no, not yet. It's kind of a perfect segue into the past, present, and future ballers being Frank Lampard, being a past brilliant artist in the on the pitch. Blake, for you, over the past few seasons, Everton have, have been forced to sell play, players while their stocks are relatively high, mainly to stay afloat with the FFP rules. If you could bring back one player from the past seasons, and I said three, but let's open up to your mind's eye, whoever you feel like after the past seasons, who would it be? And oh. then for the present, who has, well, look at the present when we, when we get past the past. So let's, let's hear who you would bring back. I mean, so when you initially sent me this question, it was three seasons, so that would be a different answer. So if it's really just like in the last like eight years or so, eight to 10 years, the answer is 100% Romelu Lukaku, and I think every Everton fan would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, so the reason I became an Everton fan initially was because I played outside back in club soccer, fell in love with Leighton Baines, and then started following Everton because of that. And then Lukaku joined on loan. My actually like first jersey I have is Lukaku's loan jersey. Looking back on it, really stupid purchase. Player's <laughs> <laughs> jersey that's on loan. <laughs> but uh, there's just something about that. I mean, he's our all-time leading scorer in the Premier League era. He's just he was an incredible player to watch. Did you see what he did this weekend? He scored four goals in 20 minutes for Belgium. Yeah, for Belgium. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean. To be able to be that good for that long, including different leagues, he played in Serie A, Premier League, international legend. I think he's top 10 international all-time goals now. I mean, absolute beast. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You said it right, beast. And he, he was perfect for the way that, that we try to play, which is having that target striker up top. You have him up top, play a through ball. He's going to shove any defender off, no, no matter who it is. He's going to shove them off, and he's going to outpace them and go one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. Like, I... <laughs> saw a highlight package a little mixtape of his uh, on twitter like a week or two ago and it was just a bunch of goals like that just him shrugging <laughs> off defenders going and just smashing the ball in the back of the net and we honestly i mean dcl he's he's been good this season but we still have not replaced lukaku and that was so long ago we still just haven't replaced that goal scoring output that we had with him so if i could bring anybody back and like after all these failed like times that he's had at manchester united and chelsea I just wish that he decided just to come back, come back to where he had greener pastures, where he's loved, and come back to Everton. <laughs> what about 19-year-old Wayne Rooney versus Prime or whatever Lukaku was when he was on Belgium? Uh, Everton, sorry. I'm, I'm going to be honest, definitely too young to have really remembered Wayne Rooney when he was like just breaking through at Everton. Yeah, fair. Uh, so I can't really say, but I mean, obviously he is like a, he's a club legend too. I definitely, like, when I first really started getting into soccer, he was at Manchester United, so 
my personal view of him is a little bit different. I'm, I'm sure some older Evertonians, but <laughs> he kind of came back when he was really fat and balding and really couldn't contribute uh, at the end of his career. So I don't have great views of him, to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. So then now that we know that the most obvious one is, I think everyone, like you said, would, would choose Romelu. Presently, who has been the main man for you guys? I have someone I know that I would select as the main man for Everton, but I'm curious to see what you are, who has been kind of your shining star right now. Yeah, so before we move on, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Richarlison, though, because if it was in the last three years, that would he would definitely be the answer to that, too, because he was that other goal-scoring output. But moving forward this year, I mean, our best player, hands down, is and has always been Jordan Pickford, but that's kind of a boring answer. I mean, you disagree with me about it, but he's England's number one for a reason. <laughs> he's been easily our most consistent player for the past four years, and really the only reason we didn't get re- relegated the past two years. Uh, and I know, Sean, you're a big Liverpool fan, and you know very much about the infamous Origi incident back in 2018. And I mean, he still gets slandered for that, I feel like. And Having watched every game pretty much that he's played since then, I've seen so much growth in him, like maturity-wise and on the field. He's easily our best player. But like I said, that's the boring answer. So <laughs> the players that really have been standing out and that people probably don't know too much about would be the midfield duo of James Garner and Amadou Nana. I really thought about trying to pick one of them, but I really couldn't. The two of them have really just been an elite tag team in the middle. They're both under 21 years old still. So they're both really young and not even hitting their prime yet. Uh, Garner was brought in from Man U. So Man U fans might be aware of him. He came up through their academy. Onana brought in from Lille. And they really just have perfect complementary styles in the midfield. Onana is a great box-to-box number eight. He's like 6'5". He's amazing at just running back, diving, and pulling a ball back from a player that looks like they're about to break in. Then James Garner, he's just, he's got a magic of a foot. Like, he's got a wand of a foot. I mean, like, he can just put the ball on a dime on the back post to James Tarkowski. And that's honestly how we get a lot of our goals is from set pieces from him. So those two, without them in the midfield duo that they've, like, made and, like, combined to be, we definitely wouldn't be where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Some some great shout-outs. I, I won't get into the details of it. I always, I'm a big Decore fan. I thought he's had a, a hell of a season, um, especially with, with being one of the most forward-thinking midfielders and his goal-scoring opportunity. I know he's played further in the pitch for you guys this season, I think, than typically. But, I mean, he's just every time that Everton need a little bit of a boost, I think he's been there uh, to, to pop one in the back of the net. Kept him up last year, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it was him in the last game, so that's a good show too. Yeah, and he was one of the guys that uh, your boy Lampard kind of – through to the waist bin and pretty much was told to go train by himself. So dude, Blake, Blake, you're invited back on whenever you want. As you keep bashing Frank Lampard, you come on in whenever you want. Right. I, I, I had Wayne Rooney for what, two seasons? And you said, no, to the curb with you, you know, like it's ridiculous. The hey, I don't, I have nothing against Frank Lampard. I like him as a person. He, after Rafa Benitez, he really came in and like galvanized the fans and really connected with the fans. So, so nothing against him there, but he's just a terrible manager. <laughs> I mean, as a City fan, I have no real reason to love Frank Lampard. I just respect what he did on the field. But yeah, I mean, absolute legend, best manager in the Premier League history behind well, Pep Guardiola. Well, perfect. We, we talked about the past. We talked about the present. 
I just want to touch about the future very quickly, and then and we have a little a, a two second bonus question because we we're talking about players. But moving forward with you know the profit it, the profit and sustainability is looming. How does how does Everton move forward in transfer markets? What what are we going to kind of see? Is it going to be more academy brought? What's kind of the the outlook for for Everton? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty much the status quo of what has been the past two, three seasons, um, really just about all staying afloat until the new stadium opens up and then we'll have all that more uh, like commercial revenue and ticket revenue coming into the club that will help it grow financially. But I mean, like you said, we've been financially ridden for the past three years. I mean, if you look at our net transfer spend, each of the past three seasons, it's all green. We've been in the net positive, which I think if you look at, each of the last three years, maybe there's three clubs in the Premier League each year that are in the positives. One of them this yep. year was Brighton because they sold two players for like 100 million each. Uh, so I think it's really just the status quo of kind of staying where we are, not really splashing the cash, making smart purchases. Uh, one thing that we've, uh, our director of football, Kevin Thelwell, has done a really great job of is like direct, is implementing uh, style and an emphasis on youth. Um, so like what I mentioned before, Amadou and Nana and James Garner, both U21 players, we've done a great job of really targeting youth in like the transfer market instead of going out and bringing in like a 30-year-old Thomas Rodriguez or something like that, which I yeah. love Thomas for the vibes, but I mean. Well, this could be this could be the saving grace. You know, like now, now after this point deduction, you at least have peace of mind where we're not winning the Premier League. We're not making European football. So <laughs> at this point, like you said, Start playing the youth, you know, start seeing who's special. You have a nice cushion of what, almost 20 games where you can test a lot of things, you know, bring up the value of your team, individual players, and then go from there. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not the neutral. I know we weren't going to win def- for, we weren't going <laughs> to win the league. I know that going into it. I was just going to be happy with like a 15th place. But yeah, I mean, going forward, definitely feel like we're going in a, the right direction. Uh, like, the foot like that's footballing wise on the field and i think a guy who really demonstrates what you're talking about is like when they brought in yusef shermidi from sporting lisbon this offseason you know 19 years old he can kind of you know ideally become in and be like a someone who can sub for calvert lewin you know go up win aerial duels because he's like six foot four right so yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly that. what he's like about. six yeah. seven <laughs> wow yeah there you go he's a portuguese peter crouch so uh <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be as good of a podcaster, though. <laughs> um, but before before we move on, I just wanted to to ask you about um, Deli Alley, a guy who's you know obviously gone through a lot in the last twelve to eighteen months through injuries, personal, um, you know, obviously struggling with mental mental health as well. Uh, it's been rumored that he's looking to make a comeback, you know, with with the Toffees. Would you be, you know, would you welcome him back? And and do you think he could have an impact? I know it's, his position would be a little bit difficult in this system, though. No. I mean, so I think I agree with everybody that I definitely would love to see him back in playing, uh, especially because, I mean, it would be for Everton. So even for Everton, would love to see it. But the thing that sucks is it's really just out of Everton's hands right now because of our financial situation. Um, so for those that don't know, uh, when Dele Ali moved to Everton on his free transfer, there was a performance-related add-on clause uh, inserted into the transfer. If he hit 20 appearances for Everton, Everton would have to pay Tottenham 10 million pounds. 
which obviously in our situation, we can't afford to do. So it's really kind of come down to Everton's right now, supposedly talking to Daniel Levy, trying to figure out uh, a compromise to the situation that's good for Deli Ali. Cause obviously everybody's seen the mental health stuff that's coming out about him. So really everybody, I think just wants to see him on the field. At least I hope so, but that will really ultimately come down to Daniel Levy and what he's willing to do. Well, the good thing with that is he's always known for being really understanding when it comes to business. <laughs> yeah, his his wallet's at at risk here, and we all know how he reacts that way. Jeez, yeah, well, I think that's a that's a great take, and I think it's a it's something that you know, especially tying into you know Mental Health Awareness Month for specifically guys. But you know, I think Deli Ali has has a good shot of having some resurgence, but. With that being said, we look to the future of, of his playing. We are back with more games this weekend. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to tell you exactly which ones you should be tuning into. We'll ask Blake about his thoughts and feelings about the the vengeance game that I'm sure everyone in Everton is ready to play and just kick the shit out of whoever they're playing. And then we'll go from there with, uh, I think it's my lock of the week. So let's see how you're going to lose money this weekend. <laughs> We are back, baby, and the EPL is making up for the d- disappointment of the international break with three slob knockers this weekend. We're going to rattle them off to you real quick, but the number one I think that we all are kind of at the edge of our, our seats for is obviously number one versus number two. I'll say two because you, you got us there, Sean, on table placement technically, on technicality, but this is Manchester City versus Liverpool at the Etihad Stadium on Saturday morning at 7.30. So if you are not up and watching this, just, just sleep in till Sunday because I don't know what you're going to be missing here. Sean, take it away, bro. How are we feeling here? And Kyle, let's get let's get a little rebuttal. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm not, I can't pretend like I'm going to be super confident. You're going to the Etihad. Liverpool have not won in the Premier League at the Etihad since 2015. Some of the goal scorers that day, Felipe Coutinho, Martin Skirtle, and uh, and Bobby Firmino, if you haven't heard, none of those guys are at with, at Liverpool anymore. The only guy still playing on either team in that game is Kevin De Bruyne, who won't play because he's out with an injury. But um, you know, a little bit of gamesmanship from Pep making up injuries uh, so his guys could skip the international break and come back early. Pretty standard behavior from him on that front. Um, but yeah, I, I I think you're going to City at the Etihad. Other than De Bruyne, they're they're relatively healthy. I I expect them to win. Um, I I know obviously Liverpool can get, you know create problems on the counter. I know you know set pieces were very dangerous, but I just think um, City at home is is a very difficult climb to to overcome. Best case scenario, I'm seeing like a two two draw, but I think realistically it's probably a two one win for City. Yeah. Uh, going off that, I mean, in, in my opinion, it's a battle of the best offense in the league versus the best defense in the league. Liverpool's let up the least amount of goals. Man City scored the most amount of goals. So this is going to come down to who can perform the best at their game. You know, I mean, like you said earlier, the only injury City's facing is Kevin De Bruyne. I don't believe that Holland is going to play at 100%. And with that said, I think there's going to be a huge game for Alvarez. I think you watch out for him. I, I can see a really, really stunning Alvarez goal coming out of this game. I think an optimistic outcome would be 3-1, to 2-1. to one. 
like Sean said earlier, two to two. I would be a lot more worried if this game wasn't at the Etihad. If it was at Anfield, I, I would be shaking in my shoes right now. I mean, we we just drew 4-4 with Chelsea. And I think Liverpool is on another level than Chelsea at this point. So this is going to come down to get your defense, get your shit in order. And offense, they're they're firing on all cylinders right now. I'm not, not so much worried about that. I think the midfield looks great. The offense looks great. Just get that defense in order. I mean, four goals to Chelsea, I... I that makes me very, very worried about what's coming with an informed Salah. I mean, Diaz is playing out of his mind right now. And Nunez, I mean, I feel at this current rate, we can unmark him. Put two people on Salah, put one on Diaz, leave Nunez, let him play, let him get those open chances. It'll be fine. It'll be hilarious. We'll all watch the hilarious highlight reel of his misses. That would kick clip you this shit. Clip in the this ass shit. So hard. No, no, no. Clip this back. shit. <laughs> that is going to be an outrageous take. I, I, I agree with you, Kyle, that, that Nunez is not the Diaz. He's not uh, Soba Sly. He's not solid. He's not going to give you the consistent play. But that is an outrageous take right there. That's why I'm and here. Almost, almost out as outrageous as you saying that Liverpool's got the best defense in the league. Would clearly statistically true. It's statistically no. true. But we'll, we'll no. keep. We'll, oh no, James is going to go. James, don't, 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 don't present facts to James. Nobody present facts to James. Let's go. I, I heard that and immediately point. went to the facts. And we have one more clean sheet. We have the exact amount of goals conceded per match. And we have less expected goals conceded. Than also, Liverpool. let's not forget, yeah, Sean. Oh, they have United, Jorginho, which is an United added world-class player. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk hogwash. I'm bringing up Jorginho. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. no. Leave him alone. We'll, we'll leave. Right, the, the other thing just I want to talk about for this game is why Liverpool keeps getting the first game after the international break. We're three for three. I don't know what that's about or who we pissed off at the fixtures office. But it's kind of BS when you have four starting players coming from South America in Nunez, Diaz, Allison, and McAllister. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they all start. There's a possibility. I think Jata's also in really good form. He could mm-hmm. potentially start off the left. Um, you know, maybe he wants Gakpo in in the center forward spot for more control um, and and his pressing, and then you know Nunez as as a late you know sub and just kind of create havoc as he's known to do. Um, and the other thing is to see whether or not Joe Gomez or Casa Simicast start at left back. Andy Robertson's still out with a broken collarbone. So I personally would like to see Joe Gomez because I think Do- Doku is going to rip Simicast a new one. He's very much an attacking minded fullback. Um, and, and Doku is the best dribbler in the Premier League. Um, I have to pass the title from my boy Eberechieze on to Doku. Right now he's averaging more than <laughs> 1.3 dribbles per 90 more than my boy Eze at five a game, which is insane. He's making Matoma look like, you know, Kyle Bansley on the wing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's insane. <laughs> I mean, you've never seen me play soccer. I'm not that good. Let's get this I'm assuming right it's now not the, the, whole, the whole podcast. I'm not that great. I mean, we probably have James and Blake as the two all-stars here. That's it. College boys. But good, man. I mean, it's going to be an exciting game. I think this is going to be a little bit closer. It's going to have almost a Champions League final-esque feel to it where I think we'll be lower scoring than we think. I think it will probably be – I think, Sean, you said 2-1. I'm going to I'm gonna hop on that bandwagon. I think 2-1 to, to City on this. But another one – yeah, I think another one that is 
hot off the press and it's kind of coming for Chelsea at the most opportune time and Newcastle, the least opportune time. And that is Newcastle versus Chelsea at St. James's park, 10 AM also on Saturday. So if you slept through the seven 30 game, shame on you, but you could definitely make the 10 o'clock game. And that is going to be a doozy as well. Obviously we spoke about before Newcastle's injuries list is longer than, I'll, I'll say it here because you wrote this one. Sean's mom's Thanksgiving Day shopping list with nine, yes, nine first-team players injured, including stars Calum Wilson, Harvey Barnes, Miguel Almiron, and Sven Botman, plus Tenali suspension, of course. And then I don't I don't think it's true, but I know Kieran Trippier, he, he pulled out of the England squad apparently due to personal reasons. I don't think it was an injury, so we'll see if he's in that starting lineup. But obviously... Uh, this is a massive list. The only person that does return is Isaac from his groin injury. We'll see how long he's able to sustain his playing on the field that way. And then obviously Bruno Gamaris, who is had one game suspension versus Portmouth for the L card accumulation. He's back as well. So Sean, what are your, what are your thoughts about Newcastle Chelsea real fast? And we'll, we'll pass the baton back off to the Toffees. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this is a tough one. Like you mentioned, a very inopportune time for Newcastle because they're just, decimated is particularly on defense and I think you know we talked about how good Chelsea's press was last week uh, or two weeks ago rather when when you know they played City and I I gotta imagine they're gonna put a lot of pressure on Newcastle's back line with no share no burn no Botman you know tri- I didn't even know about Trippier so that could be their entire usual starting back line wiped out um, but at the same time the one thing you have to acknowledge St. James's Park is one of the best home fortresses in the league They've only lost like three, three or four times since Eddie Howe took over, and Chelsea's not one of the teams to beat them. So, um, this is definitely going to be a test. I think Chelsea, if they can, you know, pull through this, it, it's shown they've truly turned a corner, and not just they play the top, you know, four or five teams real well. But um, obviously, the other thing I wanted to mention is that Bruno G and Isak will be back for this one. So, yes, there's a big injury list, but, you know, those two coming back for Newcastle is also a big boost. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what will be more of a boost, the fact that Chelsea just tied 4-4 to Man City, the first-place team, or the mental morale and pure strength that I think Everton will show at Goodison Park this weekend versus Manchester United. So if you happen to sleep through the 7.30, the 10 a.m. game, and you wake up on Sunday, you will definitely have to check out the Everton-Man City game at Goodison Park at 11.30 a.m. They're they're looking out for us, uh, the drinkers, over the Thanksgiving weekend with an 11.30 a.m. game there. So, Blake, what what are we expecting here, man, other than a ruckus crowd that is possibly going to storm the pitch towards the end with a victory? (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, starting right there, the place, Goodison Park, it's always rocking, but it's there's going to be a siege mentality there this weekend. Sean Dyche has been talking about it in the press. There's a GoFundMe going around, around right now around the uh, Everton supporters. I've donated myself. Uh, All right. We, ra- we've raised over 40,000 uh, pounds to date uh, to create banners uh, in protest of EPL's corruption and the points deduction. So that place is going to be plastered with banners all over the place, and I can't wait to see where my 20 pounds went. We will have that <laughs> link up in the description for all of our Everton fans out there that also <laughs> want to donate. Yeah, so 
the place is going to be rocking, and I think the team, like I said, it's going to have that siege mentality. We've won six out of our last nine in all, all competitions. So even regardless of the whole points deduction scandal, I think we would have been really fired up going into this against Manchester United. And I think you might have been alluding to it before, but this would definitely be my personal lock of the week. Toffee's money. All right. That's big. That's big. I, I know, Sean, you, you put this one here, but you know both teams are in good forms, obviously. Blake, you noted uh, Everton's United. It's kind of like a good form with an asterisk into it because they've they've won four of their last Premier League matches, but all by the skin of their teeth or the hair on their male genitalia. We don't have to get too uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ too, too graphic with that one. But obviously, I <laughs> I think I think this is going to be really really close. Everton have not not, not to kind of damper your mood at all, Blake, because I think stats on this one are, are through the window but you know Everton have just won two of their last 18 games against Manchester United but none of them have had this much oomph and meaning behind it so I think uh, I think we're in for one so everyone should definitely set their alarm clocks to a little bit earlier on Sunday morning and catch it yeah Sean, I just want to butt in here game? I, I have to mm-hmm. butt in here really quick we go two weeks without talking about Arsenal or any handsome players and you got to start bringing up men's genitalia what, what's going yeah. on with that James come, come on, on. <laughs> you have to maintain an image on this podcast everyone has an image mine happens just not to be the most you know yeah, you know. Nah, we will bring up our <laughs> next week, I promise you. Something will happen. <laughs> Sean, you want to say something about this game before we No, uh, I just I think Yeah, I think uh that's I I totally understand where Blake's coming from there. Like I think Liverpoolians as a whole t- very much take a an us against the world mentality and then you give them this much ammo, that's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Um I'm I'm looking forward to watching this game. And, and like we've talked about, Man United are winning lately, but it it's always seems like they're one moment away from crisis. And this is, you know, a powder keg of emotion they're walking into <laughs> with a team that's actually playing pretty well in Everton. I could totally see Everton walking away with three points. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Man U is definitely still feels very, very fragile underneath Ten Hag. I still don't feel like they've really gotten over that hump to where they're really firing on all cylinders so i think they're almost like the perfect opponent for this weekend for everton to be honest i'll definitely be checking in on our college group chat between you and and <laughs> yeah shout out to who, brendan who who this. yeah <laughs> for those who didn't make the college connection yet blake myself and brendan all played for the philadelphia university men's soccer team so that is that is why we have such passionate compadres on these uh on these podcasts but We've kind of gotten Blake's lock of the week. It is my turn for the lock of the week. Uh, we didn't have one uh, due to the international break. But before I even get into my lock of the week, and I really think this should have been hot news because of how immense it is for me. But this just in, my, my girlfriend Julia knows ball more than I do apparently. And I kid you not, has called the correct score to last two Arsenal Premier League home wins. Correct score. So she called... 5 nothing versus Sheffield, and then she called 3-1 against Burnley. And I have not yet been able to really maintain more. I think what, I'm one correct lock of the week, two losses, and after this week I'll be 2-2. Two and two. But I know that that is some, some hot news that I think everyone should start to try to ride her, um, her bets now. <laughs> but let's, let's see if I can redeem myself. And this is a tough one. And, and it's Sheffield United 
Force versus Bournemouth. Now, this is kind of the bottom of the table. So, Blake, th- your best case scenario, you're I think you're fine regardless, but you're probably helping for hoping for a draw here to make both teams a little bit further away from you. But I think uh, this game that is in at Brummel Lane at 10 a.m. on Saturday, uh, Bournemouth is plus 120. And to me, I think this could be a nice draw trap, like I said before, but with current injuries on Sheffield United and Bournemouth beating Newcastle 2-0, if they can beat a under-evaluated or de- deprived Newcastle, they can definitely beat a deprived Sheffield United. So I think this could be a perfect game for them to keep that momentum going, even though it's away from home. I think Solanke's been on a good tear as of late, so I think this could be a good momentum swinger for them. And at plus 220, I think that Bournemouth walk away with this. Um, obviously, they haven't really had a lot of wins against Sheffield as of late. Uh, but I think I think this is going to be my lock of the week, and hopefully I can get back on the on the winning side of things. I think join you, Sean. Are you 2-2 two and two or are you – I think you're 2-2 two and two now. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what we can do here. But – um, that brings us to the conclusion of our Everton spotlight edition with, uh, with Blake. So again, Blake, thanks for popping on the podcast, my man. And, and so all of us here, we do hope that you view Everton as of right now as more of a hero than a, uh, an escape goat or a, a sacrificial, sacrificial lamb, lamb. <laughs> but, but, uh, from all of us here, thanks man for popping on. I hope you enjoyed your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Definitely. Like I said, long overdue so looking forward to hopping on in the future talking some mls with you (laughs) absolutely absolutely well with that the ends our episode for this week but like i said before we have some action coming from the epl this weekend at last so everybody enjoy the rest of your evenings and your mornings and we'll talk to you next week